Hi everybody, welcome to the February 6th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DeZutti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the sudden retirement of Denver's VA director, Lynette Roth. Her announcement comes after a number of released reports indicating negligence and expensive construction delays at the facilities that she oversees. Patty Cajon from Westward, we've been, we've been used to seeing the VA in the national headlines of just the construction, but when we saw all the reports that uh, Ms. Roth was uh, connected to, it's pretty clear why she wanted to get out. Yes, to spend more time with her family, probably. <laughs> you know, I, I heard secondhand that uh, at a meeting she was dissing westward for a story we had done on just one of her many problems, and that was on sex harassment charges at a, one of the Aurora clinics. But given the amount of money, they have got, the overrun on that, the people who are not being served because that hospital hasn't been built, and the people who are at the huge waiting lines for the hospital that does exist, it was time for her to go. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Um, was this a long time coming? Uh, it's one of those things where it's a sudden retirement that uh, really wasn't a retirement at all? Well, uh, who, who knows? I mean, as she said she'd been working there for 42 years, so that is a reasonable time to retire. But you have in a long time coming. The, the VA has been troubled for a long time. It's gotten even worse under the current administration. And this region, compared to most of the rest of the country, is even worse than that. So uh, I don't know the details of, of how it operates, but it, it seems like new leadership would be a good idea. Eric Sonnen, political analyst. It surprises me when you think about uh, Veterans Affairs. This is something that while many particular spending bills won't have bipartisan support, it's hard for anyone on either side of the aisle to say they don't want it to be better. And yet it's out of all the agencies, seems it has the worst headlines and really not any progress yet. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, your question, Dominic, is what always befuddles me. If we're not doing veteran affairs right, of the massive scope and reach of the federal government, if we can't get that one right, and then when you see proposal after proposal to expand that scope and reach of the government, it, it makes you question how good an idea that is, what the capability is. I'm always fascinated by what it takes to get fired or shown the door these days. Um, I think we're about to see that question answered at NBC News, and um, we saw it here at the, at the VA recently. Natasha Garter, senior editor of 5280 Magazine, wrap it up for us. Well, I think that with the changes that we're starting to see with the VA, from the very top down, they've talked about overhauling things. So we don't know exactly what happened with her retirement, if it was a forced retirement or not. I don't have any information about that. But I do think that we're going to see overhauls like this in, in VAs across the country. I've said it on the show before, it's, it's atrocious that we can't get this correct. It, we owe more to, to our veterans. We certainly owe them at least health care. Um, and we're not doing very well at providing them either health or care in this situation. So so hopefully by doing some overhauls on a local level and then on a national level, we can start dealing with it, the care part and the health part and then perhaps together. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock kicked off a re-election campaign this week but canceled a speaking engagement at an LQB, LGBTQ conference after protests at the event regarding Jessica Hernandez. 
Meanwhile, our partners at CBS4 reported that District Attorney Mitch Morrissey sent a scathing letter to Denver Manager of Safety Stephanie O'Malley in January regarding a report about a fired sheriff deputy. Uh, Patty, the city of Denver right now, at least in the government, has been like the, as the world turns. So you take your pick of the many different issues that have come out this week. What do you think? Well, it's as the world turns in a city with only one daily newspaper and sh smaller staffs at the TV stations, too, so that you're not getting the kind of coverage you normally would. If Michael Hancock had a serious contender, which he doesn't right now, you would be seeing some really tough stories coming maybe from the contenders themselves because he's vulnerable on a number of fronts. And the problem is he is so surrounded by people who seem to want to keep him safe. He, of course he's going to be reelected. He's got $600,000. He seems to be a really nice guy. He hasn't made, he's he's got problems, but he hasn't made huge missteps. But to not speak in front of this national conference, and it was a big, prestigious national conference on gay, lesbian, transgender issues, to not be willing to stand up there because of protesters on the Jessica Hernandez case was wrong. That's what our mayor should be able to do. He had a kickoff for his campaign on Tuesday. It was all sweetness and light. But he's not bringing up the hard issues. He's not talking about the sheriff's department. He's not talking about the police shooting at moving vehicles. He's not talking about the money that it's going to cost to do the stock show plan. He's got a lot of pretty plans for the future of the city, but we need to get to the nitty-gritty. David, it seems that, uh, sadly, for one reason or another, we're going to see protests continue. Uh, the, the shooting of Jessica Hernandez, before that we saw the protests. This isn't going to go away before the election, and frankly, it may even magnify even beyond this conference. You add that to all the different things that have been going on before those protests with the sheriff's department, before that the police department. It looks like there's a lot of stuff to talk about going on, but not a lot of conversation. What do you think? Well, I, I think one of the things that would, as Patty said, add more to the conversation would be a, a strong, credible candidate running against Mayor Hancock. And even if that candidate wouldn't, didn't win the election, it would it, it raise the level of public dialogue. So I have an idea for somebody who I think should run. And this is somebody where you, what we need in the mayor's office most of all is administrative competence, because Mayor Hancock may be a nice guy, but he's really not good at running this large organization. And this is somebody who's got a proven record of administrative success, fits Denver politically, and is well-liked by everybody, and that is Mary Celeste. She is the retired former presiding judge of the Denver District Court, so she's administered a large system, knows how to do things like that, and is well-respected nationally, locally, statewide. Everybody likes her, and I think uh, the public ought to draft Mary Celeste and uh, give us a real race. Who knew the, the draft Mary Celeste movement would start right here on uh, Channel 12? It's great. Uh, Eric, we've been talking about for a few weeks that the, the municipal elections in, in Denver have not even not even on the radar. It's almost been uncomfortable silence about what's been going on. Fortunately, it's starting to get a little bit, but what we're seeing is it, it feels more like a soap opera than anything else. What's your take? I'll let David's go. I, uh, it's a softball, but I'll, I'll, I'll let that softball go. But somehow I don't think Ms. Celeste will be sitting in the mayor's office uh, <laughs> a, a half year from now. Uh, I think Patty's, Patty's essentially right here. Competition is good. And competition, it's good in any sector. Um, 
it's the missing ingredient here. Of course, Michael Hancock can decide to skip this convention because there's no consequence to skipping it. He's uh, he's the prohibitive favorite. I mean, he's the, he's the mayor elect, not only the incumbent mayor, but he's the mayor reelect as we speak because there is no opposition. You can't beat somebody with nobody. Now, even if there was somebody in the race, it would be a very heavy lift, a very unlikely uh, kind of scenario. But at least some of these issues would be discussed. The lack of competition breeds complacency, and I think that decision not to show up at that convention or a zillion other uh, decisions or potential decisions down the road like that have their roots in complacency. I also think it's potentially dangerous in terms of what it means for a next term, but it is the fact we have the whole attention in the city to the extent that anyone's engaged in politics. It's going to be on the auditor's race and a handful of council races, but we have no mayor's race. Uh, the Denver Post, Jeremy Meyer with the Post, did a recent column saying we really needed a mayor's race in this town, called me as part of that column and was trying to go back to previous incumbents who were thought vulnerable at the time, Federico Pena in 1987, Wellington Webb in 1995. The difference, and again, Patty hit this, is that was in a robust media environment. There were two newspapers in this town, two daily papers, and each of those papers had a minimum of two people assigned to City Hall. They were digging... They were, they were digging up under every rug in City Hall looking for stuff and successfully looking for stuff, particularly by 1995. You don't have that environment now. The, 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 the landscape is completely different. And, and to be fair, Mayor Hancock was planning to speak at the conference. It's just that after that protest, the, speaker, the uh, organizers uh, announced that he wasn't going to be speaking. Uh, Natasha... Not only do we see the kind of the weird uh, thing happening at the conference uh, and the campaigns kicking off, but then you have this whole thing between Morrissey and O'Malley. Mm. And while uh, neither of them are within the election, that's still saying something about the city of Denver and nothing positive, for at least from what I can see. Uh, what do you make of it? Well, I, I think what's going to happen is that uh, brush-ups like that are going to filter into the city council races. And that's where most of this discourse and conversation and discussion is going to happen. Since Hancock isn't, isn't going to be a, a big part of that conversation, now that could actually be, be quite um, difficult for him as, it, it, as he moves forward. But the city council races, I was already hearing long, long into last year that, that the people were putting their money towards the city council races. The reason why there are many people that are term limited, there are redistricting issues that have come up, and there's all these legacy issues that this council is going to have to deal with, including the police, dealing with things like the Morrissey O'Malley issue, dealing with the sheriff's department. These are things they're going to inherit. At the same time, they have a lot of money. <laughs> that they can play around with. So it's it's a real opportunity for the city council to move into a different position, pro potentially in a power um, in, in Denver. Certainly we've seen a lot of interesting things come out of the city council. I mean, medical marijuana, marijuana legalization, that all starts back there. Um, something like the homeless camping ban in downtown, that starts at the city council as well. So what, I think it, it's going to require people to not focus just on one race, but focus on these 50-plus candidates because the city council is going to be the thing to watch. Republican state lawmakers introduced seven different bills this week addressing the gun control laws passed in 2013. Five of them were quickly killed in a House committee vote, while two were passed in a Senate committee, although few believe that either of the Senate measures will survive uh, getting to the House and, and through the House. David, you, uh, as always, you've been an uh, expert witness both in the federal and the state level when it comes to laws like this. Were any of these proposed to really 
address the laws in an, either repealing or was this a statement Republicans were making? Well, it was a statement that Speaker Hollinghorst was making when she said sent every bill to the State Affairs Committee, which is typically where you send minority bills to be killed because the State Affairs Committee is composed of majority, majority party members from safe districts who don't have to care about public opinion or, or, or anything. The, these, these were bills that clearly would have the most of them the support to pass on the floor of the House. So it is really only Speaker Hollinghorst and her sending things to state affairs, which is preventing the legislature from passing some of these and sending them to the governor. And some of them, I think, are, are obvious common sense. For example, one that got killed was to say that if you are a place of public accommodation and you allow licensed, trained people with a concealed carry permit to carry on your property, you can't be sued for that. So that would take away some of the fear that, you know, that ultimately helped cause the Aurora Theater shooting, where licenses, they say, oh, you know, who knows what could happen? We don't want to get sued. So the most protective thing is just to prohibit everything at all times. This wouldn't change the law about who can carry. It would just provide, it was endorsed by the National Federation of Independent Businesses, just to provide businesses some legal protection for doing the right thing and allowing lawful carry. And even that got killed uh, Six five. Eric, uh, among these issues, it seems there is some room for compromise. I think because even from conversations with Governor Hickenlooper, the, the magazine uh, limit is one. It's at currently at fifteen, but if that were to be maybe expanded to twenty or thirty, there's probably room at least for conversation. But because these seem pretty, at least in my estimation, and, and I respect where David's coming from, uh, to not be looking for that kind of compromise, just throw it out there it's a big week and then it's over with, it seemed like a checkoff list uh, for Republicans. Am I being short-sighted? No, I think it's a checkoff list, list for both parties. Democrats want to preserve what they did in 2013. They don't want to acknowledge that it was an overreach if it was. They don't really want to revisit the history of the recalls and everything that ensued. For Republicans, it's certainly a checkoff list of trying to redress their grievances from, from, from 2013. If 2013... Uh, you know, I consider it uh, maybe a session of more action than thought on particularly around this issue, particularly around the magazine ban issue. Uh, this session strikes me as one of more noise than action. I think there's going to be a lot of noise on both sides, but you have sort of mutually assured destruction given the split legislature, um, Senate bills get killed in the House, House bills get killed in the Senate, and then to David's point, obviously, if the Speaker wants a bill killed, you're not going to put it on the floor where who knows what happens to it, you're going to get rid of it in committee, and that seems to be what happened uh, to these bills. If, if there's going to be any compromise, it's likely to be around the magazine ban, uh, the magazine capacity issue, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't bet on that one. Natasha, our is the at least at the state legislature level is this done once uh maybe after next week once the maybe see we see what the senate bills happen but are we going to hear anything more about the gun control laws for the rest of the session i think we'll keep hearing whether actual movement is being done on it or not i mean this is such an important topic to coloradans it'll just always be part of the news cycle whether there's a bill being debated or not um i would say that you know perhaps when it comes to gun control we should write those bills not in permanent ink but on a dry erase board because i think this is going to be an issue every session i mean since 2013 certainly before that as well but since 2013 it's just been a regular refrain and i think every year we're going to keep on addressing these now who's in power 
what gets shifted, what gets slightly changed, that's going to be what, but, but Coloradans just have to get used to this. It will be part of the news for a very long time. Patty, whether it's this session or even, even next year, do, does a, a Democratic House, even with a thin majority, ever send significant changes to these laws to Governor Hickenlooper? I think it's possible, and the magazine bill was an, a poss was an example of that, because even Hickenlooper had said he didn't have all the facts when he originally approved it, although he didn't quite say it that way. Um, <laughs> and so I think we could have seen a compromise on that. We've, we've lost Magpul, but we could have seen a compromise on magazines. I think we will not see a really reasonable bill come forward again unless we have, unfortunately, a fresh motive for it. So we've, we are still hearing the testimony of parents from Columbine in the State House over this. If we have another Aurora shooting type thing, we will see more bills come up. So it, as Natasha's right, this topic is never going away, but we will begin talking about it more reasonably, I hope. According to Centers for Disease Control, Colorado children in kindergarten have among the lowest rate of measles vaccinations in the nation. Colorado ranks 42nd with 81.7% compared to most states with above 90% vaccinated. Uh, Eric, this has been a huge issue ever since we kind of, I guess, you can really call it a, uh, an outbreak. I don't know the technical terms with diseases if that accounts for more. But from Disneyland to other states and the whole vaccination debate, this is the first thing we really see Colorado in a pretty stark light. What did you make of the story? Yeah, I was stunned. Colorado is number 42. You know what state is number one? Mississippi. <laughs> Go figure. Um, Mississippi has over 99%, approaching 99.9%. Uh, vaccination rates. This was a major dust-up in the legislative session a year ago. I believe it was the 2014 legislative session, not particularly around measles, but around childhood immunizations generally. There is a weird and almost quasi-paranoid, to my thinking, opposition that spans the poles of the two political parties. You get, you get some of the hard right of the Republican side who thinks this is government intrusion. And then you get some of the hard, quasi-wacky left of the Democratic Party who thinks this is somehow a violation of holistic medicine and what have you. And, and then you have the specter of autism, which has been really put to bed, that uh, there, there's just no scientific evidence that, uh, that links this um, childhood immunizations to autism. But you, you still have that specter raised. Um, and, you know, I guess when you have the hard, hard, wacky right and the hard, hard, wacky left together, you know you probably have a good idea, which is that kids ought to be immunized. That's a, that's a, a wacky dance partner in a ship if you ever ask me. Uh, Natasha, you covered a lot of different health issues, uh, 5280 and beyond. Um, this isn't simple because it's not just about vaccinations or just one thing, but we're also starting to get into liabilities or doctors making points of, if, hey, if your kids aren't vaccinated, don't come here. Mm -hmm. It can't be long before a private school or a private daycare issues the same sort of thing. This getting from a vaccination debate to a public policy issue is a very short ride. Where yes, are you at? And, and it's interesting. I have a two-year-old son who is immunized, or has gone through his series. Um, but one of the things when we first made that decision, our, our doctor's team was almost relieved. I got a sense that they have this conversation a lot, that they are really fighting a battle of education. And one of the things I think is missed a little bit, because there's certainly, you know, moral or, or education issues, whatever else, there's also a generational issue. My generation didn't grow up knowing the impact of these diseases. So we're, as we get further and further away, say, 
say from polio being, uh, that's something I don't understand. It was just not an issue. So as you get further and further away from what was the original cause, why we needed to do this, the public health crisis, part of this is educating parents to say, hey, you didn't have to deal with this, but don't make your child deal with it too. So I think all of this, the, from, from the doctor's clinics to in the family room on a household level to the national um, level with, with public health centers, this, this conversation is not over, but it's a good one to have because it's probably been a while since we've had it. Petty, Colorado loves to kind of buck the system uh, on a whole lot of issues. Being 42nd in the nation seemed like we were keeping up that tradition. Uh, what do you think? Yes, it definitely gave, gave a rise to it, gave credence to our libertarian streak that, you know, we, everybody wants to make their own decisions. And then, of course, we also had a bill introduced this week for the parents' rights, which basically makes you, a parent could decide just about everything involving their kid, not just whether they're immunized, but, you know, no matter what movies they could see in school, everything else they'd be doing. In this case, a, a lot of the distrust of government is definitely part of it. Um, the not wanting to be bossed around, but as those, some of us around this table, I'm sure, have had the joy of childhood measles. And Natasha has a good point. If you don't remember what it was like, you don't realize what these vaccinations can really do to help uh, some significant problems. Right. It's a, it's a significant disease would have a vaccination. This is not the common cold. Uh, David, you are an expert on many issues, but certainly one of them being libertarian uh, points of view. What do you think? Well, one of the problems with not getting vaccinated is the risk it poses to other people. First of all, most vaccines don't confer perfect immunity, so you still might have a 1 or 2 percent chance of getting infected if you're exposed. And secondly, the infant population, one years and, and lower, is not vaccinated for most things because the infant's constitution isn't strong enough uh, to take the vaccine at that point. I, I, there's so much junk science and bogus stuff out there put out by Robert Kennedy Jr. and, and all, all this stuff, but there is a germ of truth in the, the fact that there is some risk. In 1988, Congress said no more lawsuits against vaccine manufacturers, period, but we're going to set up a vaccine injury compensation fund for people who are injured by a vaccine. Since then, there have been 4,000 cases where the federal government has paid out to people who proved they were injured by a vaccine. The Institute of Medicine, uh, part of the, the National Institutes of Health, the National Academies of Science, uh, did a report and they said, you know, for the things like the measles vaccine causes autism, the, the weight of the evidence was strongly against that. But they also said for the vast majority of things of, you know, X vaccine versus Y adverse reaction, of which there's about 135 uh, being studied, we just don't know that there's not enough evidence one way or the other uh, to say. So you, you can un I can understand, even though I disagree, why some parents would be cautious on this. Well, it's time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Uh, Patty, as always, it's tradition. Start us off. Well, I mentioned the Aurora shooting the, and the Columbine shootings. And still, after all these years, we really wonder what happened. You wonder what could have stopped it. Could anything have stopped it? Could the parents have known? And one way we will never now find out is because Jefferson County has destroyed the movies that Klebold and Harris made in their basement. They're referred to as the basement tapes. They've never been released. They were locked up in the sheriff's department 
over sometime over the last few years decided to just destroy them so they never got leaked out. You would think a sheriff's department could keep them somehow under lock and key, just as the depositions of the Klebold and Harris parents have been kept under lock and key for 20 years. I think someday people would want to be able to understand what went on, and so you do not destroy evidence like that. I did not know that. That is astonishing, absolutely. In Westward this week, you can read it. Ah, very nice. David. The thugs who disrupted the gay rights conference that Mayor Hancock was going to speak at and you know, go on stage and start chatting about Jesse Hernandez and they insist that gay rights groups have to have a certain number of transgender people on their boards or whatever. Well, if you think that, go become a voting member of the group and, and elect your board members or found your own group, but you don't have some right to come in like a brown-shirted thug and disrupt a peaceful meeting that other people are having. Eric. Well, I'm tempted to give it to our friend Natasha here for so rudely reminding us of how much younger she is than the rest of us at this table. <laughs> Technically, I think Patty reminded us of how young she is. Exactly. <laughs> Instead, how about Lance Armstrong? There's something to, be, something to be said for personal responsibility and personal accountability. My man, you missed, you missed that message. Holy smokes, you're absolutely right about that one. Natasha? I missed that message several times. <laughs> um, I'll add Brian Williams to it. I, we just news broadcasters, we have to have credibility, we have to have trust. And why, Brian, why? <laughs> Uh, the hardest part of the show, say something nice about somebody. Patty? Well, first of all, we were all on that helicopter, too, when it, <laughs> when it was shot down. Uh, I'm going to say something nice about History Colorado. Two things, two events there this week. One was the Historic Preservation Awards that went to Boulder County for the work they did after the floods. That was great. And Ernest House, who heads the Commission of Indian Affairs in Colorado, does great work. That was a wonderful event. And also... As indicated by my fetching accessory, the 1968 show that just o will open this weekend at History Colorado, very fun, and also the, Ch the Colorado Chicano part that goes with it is a really good history of Colorado. Cool. David. King Abdullah of Jordan for beginning uh, the, A, the execution of the Al-Qaeda terrorist prisoners who would just be bait for other people to be captured in exchange, and B, for the airstrikes, which I think will be the beginning of a very strong response by Jordan, just like his father, also named King Abdullah, who wiped out the PLO, Palestine Liberation Organization, Yasser Arafat's ter ter terrorist group in Jordan in 1970. Uh, a strong response to these people and their destruction is not only a good thing to talk about at a press conference, it's a good thing to accomplish. Eric. A friend of ours at this table and a sometimes panelist over the years, Jessica Peck, who's been dealing with a major health crisis that has been going on for years on end, made a very courageous decision about how to deal with that crisis by sacrificing a leg. Um, that surgery, I believe, is taking place as we speak or, or some, at some point today. So um, our admiration to Jessica and our best wishes. Absolutely. Certainly echo that. Natasha. Um, I have to give credit to the crews that are filling potholes. It has been a brutal freeze and thaw season in this, this metro area, and you see them out every day. They're doing a good job. Well, especially consider what was it just a couple weeks ago we went from five below to 55 in one day. <laughs> it's like the, the perfect storm for those guys. Right. Well, that is all the time we have tonight. Thank you very much for tuning in. Remember that if you missed any part of the show or want to catch our web-exclusive segment, CIO Postgame, check out CPT12.org or YouTube. I also send out our takes via Twitter, so please feel free to follow me at DDizzuti. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night. Thank you.